Hello, and welcome to ASUG Talks, a podcast series featuring candid career conversations with ASUG members who lead or work on SAP teams across the United States and Canada. My name is Jim Lichtenwalter, and I am the ASUG content manager and the host of ASUG Talks. In this episode, I'm joined by Allison Bouti, a project delivery manager for Marine Atlantic, which is a Canadian ferry transportation organization. Allison, thank you so much for being here with me today. My pleasure. Allison, let's start things off. I'd love to know a little bit about what your current role is right now. So my current role is, um, my title is Manager of BPR Project Delivery. Um, And BPR stands for Business Process Renewal. And that's a multi-phase, multi-year initiative uh, that my organization, Marine Atlantic, has taken on basically to redefine our business processes and implement SAP. So um, I have a number of projects that fall in that portfolio um, that we're working on. And uh, those projects are basically, again, to, you know, re-examine our business processes and um, ultimately implement SAP technology uh, across our landscape. I'm always interested in how um, professionals in the SAP ecosystem came to SAP and came to working in IT. Can you tell us a little bit about what you studied in college? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I graduated high school in 1997, and um, I started at St. Francis Xavier University here in Nova Scotia um, that September, so September of 1997. And I took a four-year bachelor's degree called Bachelor of Information Systems. You don't see a lot of degrees with that name now. They tend to be like a Bachelor of Business Admin with a concentration in IT. Um, But at that time, I guess it's almost 25 years ago, um, it was called Bachelor of Information Systems. And um, what drew me to that, you know, that field, I guess, it was really unknown at the time. I can remember coming home and saying to my parents, this is what I want to take. And, and the kind of the blank stares <laughs> on their face, because in 97, honestly, especially in my kind of blue collar household, nobody knew what information systems was. Um, one of the things they promoted with the program was the high job um, placement after university. I would have been going in with student loans and looking at student debt, so that was something that appealed to me. Um, I was a real math geek in high school, and there wasn't very many paths for somebody with that kind of aptitude to take back then. You could go the science engineering route, which wasn't really my jam, um, or you know, look for other opportunities. And so when I started to look into the courses that would have would come with the BIS degree um, it seemed like it was all stuff that you know interested me so and it was a four-year degree and you know on the kind of immature high school side we didn't have a lot of labs and I had a lot of friends who were in uh, science degrees and would do their classes and then spend every afternoon in the lab and it just seemed like a whole other extra set of responsibilities so part of what appealed to me also was that uh, we wouldn't have that extra burden yeah. In high school, were you interested in computers and in information systems? You know, or is that something that, you know, as you came into college, you developed an interest in? I was not interested at all in high school. Um, <laughs> I definitely had to force myself, even through university, to, to dive into those programming type courses. And one thing, I had the kind of the pleasure of going back to the university last year and teaching an IT course there um, as a part-time instructor for a term during COVID. And oh, very cool. I tried to encourage a lot of the students in my class that there is there are many ways to succeed in the IT world without being, you know, that 
programmer <laughs> that uh, that we kind of get labeled as. So I still call myself a non-techie techie person. I'm not afraid of technology, um, but I'm not the person that's going to jump in and start coding or building solutions. I'm not, you know, any kind of uh, enterprise or solutions architect by any means. Yeah. The student becomes the teacher, literally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was really interesting. Fun. Yeah. How did that uh, opportunity come about? It was just a random posting for uh, that I saw there for one part-time course for one term. They were doing remotely because of COVID. Um, and I threw my name in the hat and honestly didn't think anything of it and uh, was presented with the opportunity to teach that just one course for four months. Um, and my boss and the management team at Marine Atlantic supported me kind of stealing some hours during the day to do that. So uh, it was really neat. I've thought of going to grad school the last few years and wondered like, am I ready to go back into academia? And um, I looked at that as an opportunity to kind of get involved in, in the university, you know, atmosphere again and see if it was something that would appeal to me to go back and do grad school. Ultimately, I've decided that uh, an MBA isn't for me right now. I have two small children. Um, and even just teaching the course took a lot of extra hours and extra time. Um, so that was kind of a good wake up call for me to say, no, I, you know, at this phase of my life, my work life balance is really important. And I liked having I like that time with my kids, and my family. I felt very obligated to the students. You know, like I found myself checking my university email 10 times a day because if there was an assignment due the next day and somebody needed help with it, I I, I felt like I wanted to be there to constantly support. So uh, it was it was a good experience um, and it's something I would do again, but I have a lot more appreciation for what it takes to be uh, a full time professor. That's so cool that you had that experience. Let's let's go back to, you know, you're you're coming out of college, you're you're entering your first job. Tell us a little bit about your first job, how you got it, and then what you started off doing. I was recruited out of university um, as a new grad for Shell Canada, um, which was a really great opportunity and one that I'm forever grateful for. What I will say is I think one of the things that helped me stand out um, in terms of being presented with that type of new grad opportunity was while I was in university, I took any and every job I could on campus. And a lot of them were tech focused. And again, even though I wasn't techie, I... I was a lab assistant for, you know, the distance nursing class. I developed a website for the human nutrition department. Um, I worked the help desk every summer. So I was able to develop some kind of professional expertise and skills, even while I was in school, just by doing some small student jobs. Um, and looking back, I think when I went into, you know, interviews and recruitment for, you know, a global organization like Shell, it wasn't so much that I had the perfect GPA that made me stand out, um, but I was able to come across as somebody who was well-rounded and I had already been working with professors and deans and all sorts of different um, people at all levels of the organization at the university. So um, that was a strength, I think, that I definitely carried into that recruitment process. Um, so as a fresh new grad, like a month after I graduated with my undergrad, I started, uh, I moved from Nova Scotia to Alberta, uh, started my career with Shell Canada, and immediately um, started working in the ERP realm. At that point, Shell was operating a green screen AS400 version of JD Edwards. And um, that's where I started my career was as a system support analyst in that area. Um, and I've spent my entire career working in, in ERP. So the first few years were supporting JD Edwards. And then as Shell uh, Canada moved to the global Shell kind of conglomerate, um, we had a number of projects to migrate uh, the Canadian data and the Canadian systems and processes onto the global SAP systems. And that, that was my first exposure to SAP. 
So this this was your first exposure to SAP at Shell. Yeah. What uh, what solutions were you were you on R three R two? We were on R three at that point. Um, I think they're still on R three. I've kind of followed some of their even they we've seen a few ASUG articles. I, I believe they're still trying to figure out their migration path for S four. But um, we were on R three at that point, um, and there was a number of global systems based on your line of business and where you worked. Um, and again, we had just gone through a reorg, uh, quite a bit of disruption in the organization, um, a lot of uncertainty within the IT division of where we would end up when you look at, you know, going from this nice small Canadian company, not small, but small in terms of what Global Shell represented. Um, and I raised my hand and said, I know there's going to be some global projects here and I really want to participate with uh, in those. I felt like it was better to get involved um, and be seen as the Canadian expert or the Canadian point of contact for this stuff than to wait and be tapped on the shoulder. So um, I had the benefit of being assigned to three separate projects over five years and they were all um, migrations to the global shell. So we were taking people off of the JD Edwards ERP and moving them into um, the global SAP program. And those, those experiences, you know, they still continue um, to provide benefits in, in my career today. I got to see what good project delivery looks like. I got to see what a sustainable ERP model looks like. I got to see how um, you can set up, you know, a center of excellence to really make things work for your business. So, and it really allowed me, uh, you know, a lot of different insight into uh, the SAP land and how to do it the right way. As you're working on these global projects, what would you say was an early SAP related hurdle that you had to overcome and how did you go about overcoming it? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, I honestly think the hurdles I overcame or had to look at in those big, huge shell projects are very similar to the hurdles that we look at today when I might be working at Marine Atlantic with a team of five people instead of a project team of 120 people. Um, business process redesign, it tends to be the biggest challenge, um, asking people to do their jobs differently, um, challenging why we do things a certain way and uh, moving people out of that status quo is always a challenge. So um, when I look back, I could give, you know, specific examples of, you know, there might be a global shell policy or procedure and we're trying to bring Cana the Canadian shell people onto that piece through the software, but I encounter those same challenges today in my job. It's all about getting people to change the way they work um, and accepting and adopting any process changes that are coming. Let's talk a little bit now about Marine Atlantic. I'd love to know about that transition, how you ended up there, and then tell us a bit about what the company is and what you all do and the customers that you all are serving. Yep. Um, so I'll, I'll start off telling you a little bit about Marine Atlantic because if I don't do it now, I'll forget. Um, <laughs> Marine Atlantic is a federal crown corporation um, in Canada, which means ultimately we report into the federal government if you think of them as our main shareholder, but we're not um, a public service company um, by the same token. Uh, Marine Atlantic is part of the um, the service we provide is part of the Constitution of, of Canada. So uh, when the province of Newfoundland, Newfoundland joined Canada, I think it was 1949, but you can fact check me there. Um, they're kind of an isolated island on the east coast of Canada. One of the things that was written into that constitution and them coming in was um, that this ferry service would exist. So Marine Atlantic provides a ferry service um, between two ports in Newfoundland and one port here in North North Sydney in Nova Scotia. That's where I work. Um, 
for both passenger and commercial services. And Marine Atlantic, the last I checked, again, we might need to fact check this. I think we provide about 60 to 70% of the commercial goods that arrive in the province of Newfoundland. So it really is a, a critical part of the Canadian infrastructure when you look at it as a whole. Um, it's a company that's existed, I think, for 120 years. And then, like I said, came into uh, under the government oversight um, probably when they came into the constitution. So that's what we do. We're a relatively small company. We've got anywhere from maybe 600 to 1200 employees, depending on the season. Um, we do provide a big part of the tourism component for the island of Newfoundland as well. So you'll see in summer months that our staff and our activity really ramps up versus the winter months when there's not a whole lot of people lined up to travel to uh, the, the East Coast to Canada mid-February. That's mostly the commercial traffic at that point. Um, so for me, when I worked with Shell um, and got through these global projects and I was in more of an operational excellence role after the projects rolled out, um, I actually moved to Nova Scotia, my hometown. So I left Alberta came back to my hometown and Shell let me take my job with me. So that would have been in 2006. Uh, nobody was working remote then. Who who knew where we'd end up, you know, 15 <laughs> years later. Um, I used to dial into our meetings and they'd have a speakerphone in the middle of a con conference room. Oh, and, wow. You know, no screen sharing, no video, nothing. But they did let me, they said, let's give it a shot. So I, I wanted to move home. I was ready to quit. Um, and we worked this out. And I think at the point they, they guaranteed me two or three years was what was written into the contract. Um, my career continued to progress with Shell and I stayed in that role for about 15 years, um, just doing various roles again in the SAP or the ERP realm, but working remotely and traveling back and forth a bit. Um, then I started to have my babies and kind of took a break um, from my career to, to focus on that part of my life. And when I was eight months pregnant um, with my son, my second child, I got a call for an interview uh, at Marine Atlantic and I actually turned it down and said, you know what, like I'm, I'm eight months pregnant. There's really no sense of me coming in. And the girl on the phone, I still thank her when I see her in the hallways, um, said, no, we really want to talk to you. Please just come and, and chat with us. Um, so I went to that interview and walked out thinking, I really want to work for these guys. This job is close. I'd been doing remote for so long. Um, the commute wasn't too bad. It was something local here in Nova Scotia. They were just starting on an SAP journey. So that was, you know, totally of interest to me. And uh, it just felt like it would be a fit. And I mean, I still, again, owe a lot of people thanks for this. They did. They offered me the job. And in Canada, we get a year of maternity leave. Um, so I, that was why I didn't think I'd ever get a job offer. But they did. They gave me the job offer at eight months pregnant and said, take as much time as you need and let us know when you want to start. That is incredible. I mean, it's a really cool story. Yeah, I'm, you know, forever grateful um, for that. And our CIO, Colin, um, I'm sure it came across his desk and I still can't believe he took a chance on me like that. But I'm I'm very, very grateful for it. So I took, I didn't take the full year. I took about 10 months. So I accepted a job and didn't start until about 10 months afterwards. And Marine Atlantic was just at the beginning of this BPR project then. Um, I came into the job as a BPR project manager. Um, shortly after that, maybe a year or two after that, I moved into what they called a project lead role where I was more leading the SAP program for them. Um, and then I've just recently received a promotion into a manager of project delivery for the overall program. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> that's very, that's a very cool story. Did you intend to go back to work after you, um, after you finished having children or had you not thought about it yet? Or what was your mindset like when you sort of picked up that call? Yeah. In the Atlantic? I, I intended to, I think there was, 
there was a honeymoon phase as a new mother, maybe with my first child where I thought, oh, I could, I could do this. Like I could be a stay at home mom. Um, and I did go back to shelf for a little while, I think between my children. Um, but I, I quickly realized I have a passion for my career and, and, you know, it provides me some satisfaction in, in another way. So um, while I did play with the idea and look, when you're on maternity leave for a year, it's, it's, it's a nice amount of time to be off and to be home snuggling with your babies and just being a mom. Um, so it, it's tempting, but I'm very happy that I've been able to kind of keep that balance and, and have a career that really satisfies me and uh, also be a, be a mom that's present for my children. I want to talk a little bit about um, sort of the IT um, environment, which is, you know, traditionally a male dominated, you know, field. Would love to know a little bit about your experiences working as a woman in such like a male dominated field. Yeah, um, that's something I've I've given a lot of thought to the last few years, Jim. When I started at Shell, I, I can remember they had these, you know, Shell Women's Network and there was all these forums for women in IT. And I was like, why do we need all of this? I, I, it hadn't really ever occurred to me that I was entering into a field um, where it was really male dominated. Um, and at one point during my career with Shell, I reported to women all the way up the line. My boss was a woman who reported to a woman. The CFO was a woman. The CEO was a woman. Um, so I think early on, I had this really kind of unique experience where to me, it was like, what's what's the big deal? Um, and as my career grew and maybe as I started to work on more of these global initiatives and get exposed to how things operated even in different countries, um, and then even more so coming to Marine Atlantic, I have come to realize that women are, are definitely uh, not as dominant in the in the IT field. So um, it's something I guess I've become more conscious of as, as I've gotten older and a little bit more secure in my abilities in my role as a woman in technology. Um, I talked about teaching that course at the university I attended, I made a point of uh, kind of making that part of our discussion points of, you know, I know there's people in this class who are women who might think you want to do an accounting major. Don't think you can't be successful in an IT career just because you're not that um, attracted to programming or, you know, you, you don't have that background. Um, women tend to be more empathetic, um, which is, a, I think, a skill that serves you really, really well um, in infor information technology because a lot of it is about planning and problem solving and stuff. Um, women also, I think, tend to juggle many priorities at once. And uh, I have yet to find an IT shop anywhere I've worked or been exposed to that doesn't have, you know, too many balls in the air that we're all trying to, to keep up with. So I think there are a lot of strengths that women can offer in general. And uh, I really hope to see that we start to promote more girls and women into these careers, not just even from the school age, because I think we do a great job at that. You see all these STEM and STEAM programs in the schools and the universities, but um, even tapping out to women at our own organizations um, and trying to see those aptitudes. I have a few people we've brought into our team who were not in technology careers. They were working in other supervisory roles in the in our organization or training departments, and we've just been able to kind of bring them into the fold and help them see um, that IT isn't just spreadsheets and data and stuff. There's lots of cool work you get to do within the IT department. So that's one thing I've tried to do uh, in this role that I'm in is just kind of open people's eyes to all of the different activities that happen in information technology. That's great. Thanks for sharing your experience. Um, I'm also interested in, you know, any advice you have for any young women who are, you know, much like your students that you taught are sort of sitting at the precipice, of either about ready to enter the IT space or sitting there thinking, hmm, is this the right space for me, you know, to pursue a career in? 
Yep. Um, what I would say is IT is a great place to start. So it doesn't have to be a lifelong commitment. If it's if it's something you think you're interested in, I can guarantee you that you can find a spot in IT that will give you exposure to anywhere in the organization. So it is a great place to start if you want to be in a business role and you're not sure of where. Um, the other thing that I tell the women I work with a lot is we undersell ourselves too much. Uh, women have a tendency to not want to come across as aggressive or bossy or um, overconfident. And while there is a place for humility in the workplace with men and women, um, I try to make sure that people understand the value that they bring to the table and that they're comfortable with that. Um, so those would be my biggest two pieces is if you think you want to try it, try it out. You're never going to, it won't be time wasted um, for your career. Uh, and then secondly, just you have a seat at the table and don't be afraid to take it um, and don't undersell yourself that you don't deserve that. Would love to know a little bit about your ASUG origin story, how it's helped your career and sort of, you know, how you participate in ASUG currently. When I was in Alberta and working for Shell, I didn't have any exposure to ASUG and I didn't see, I guess when I think about it now, I didn't have a need because I was already plugged into this global network of SAP customers and countries. So I could call somebody who worked somewhere else in, in Shell and say, how did you guys configure your storage locations? What does that look like? I, I had people to ask those questions to. When I started at Marine Atlantic and we were just starting on the SAP journey, um, I kept asking, like, who are we going to talk to? Like, what other customers are we going to reach out to? I want to... I want to have a little network out here. Um, we did plug into one network through the federal government of SAP federal government users. But um, when I actually met with some of the folks in, in Ottawa um, through the federal government, they pointed me in the direction of ASUG. There was a woman there who was the chair of the Ottawa chapter. Um, and she said, you know, you should really get plugged into what's happening in Atlantic Canada. So from there, I actually approached my boss at the time and said, I, I really think we should look at this. Um, and our company has become uh, part of the Atlantic Canada chapter. I had the opportunity to present on our first project and share some of our challenges and lessons learned from our first initiative. Um, and we continue to promote ASUG within our organization. Um, I'm the chair of the Atlantic Canada chapter right now. And uh, we're looking to do some really cool things to reconnect customers in Atlantic Canada. I've found and we continue to promote a lot of ASUG events uh, within our organization. But uh, there's a wealth of knowledge out there. And that's how I like to keep up to date on research trends, what's happening in the SAP world. Um, we've met lots of people who are also SAP customers, shared a ton of knowledge. Even through COVID, I have to commend ASUG. Um, great job on just so many virtual events and think tanks and webinars. And we really did. Um, our group and our company attended a lot of those things. Uh, it felt good to reach out and see other people and have the ability to do that networking during the pandemic, which was um, a challenge. So ASUG continues to deliver that value for us. Um, I also find... There's a lot of uh, opportunity with ASUG for two-way communication. So the surveys you send out and, you know, I see firsthand that I can give this feedback in a survey and months later see that somebody read it um, and has followed through on it. And that's something, even though ASUG is a large organization, I think that's something that really matters to folks like me. Well, th thank you for the kind words. We really do appreciate it. Allison, thank you so much. Really enjoyed our conversation today. It was so nice talking with you. Me too. Thanks for the opportunity to have me. And that brings this episode of ASUG Talks to an end. Thank you again, Allison, for joining me today. 
Be sure to join me again for the next ASUG Talks, and remember to generously share these compelling conversations with other ASUG members, your professional community, and industry networks. If you want to share your own career journey on this podcast, you can reach out to me, Jim Lichtenwalter, or you can email us at asugnews at asug.com.